the path of the witch is so unique. The, the gift of witchcraft. I was able to see, hear, and communicate with spirits. A very personal relationship between a person and spirit. Carnal lust and some things like that. Working with different energies and spirits and communicating. Creating magic. Powerful yeah. ritual and powerful spells. She's actually sending me in the cold. The role of the witch is to make change. Let's it be, y'all. Let's it be. People ask me, like, okay, I'm a witch, and I don't know what to do. Twenty years ago, three young friends realized they were witches. They scattered to different parts of the world, following magic and spirit. Now, they're back in their hometown to share what they've learned. Welcome to That Witch Life Podcast, your home for living as a witch in today's world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to That Witch Life Podcast. Uh, my name is Hillary. I'm your host today, and I am joined by my two co-hosts, Kanani. Hello. And Courtney. Hey. And we're really happy to have you with us today. And how have you ladies been? How has your week been? The school's the school year's ending, and so now kind of I think we're all trying to take a breath before we have to worry and wonder about when and if it's going to start in the fall and when. I think, I think the when is more than the if. I mean, clearly it's going to start, but to the in what capacity and when, I think is a great big question mark. Um, but in the meantime, we're just going to be very excited that this year is over and we're not having to scramble through learning all the district lear- distance learning stuff that we've had to, we've had to do. It's kind of weird to feel like you're on summer break when every day just feels like the day before. <laughs> yeah. It's like that, that there's that, not that anti club like that, moment where they were coming out of school, they're bringing all their stuff. But I actually, Kanani and I saw each other last weekend for the first time since before the pandemic. Yes. We did. And we roasted s'mores and I gave your daughter a civics lesson, which she was really pleased to get. Oh yeah. She loves when people tell her what to do. I'm not sure where she gets that from. She made the mistake of telling us she was bored. So I told her, Hey, I think what you should do is you should go write a letter to your Senator. She goes, I don't want to do that. (laughs) I said, well, here's the situation. You are, she's what, nine? Yeah, she's nine and a half. Nine and a half. You're nine and a half. A letter coming from you will be a really big deal. A letter says, so before you're 18, anything you say, everyone's like, wow, the youth. And then when you're over 80, everyone's like, oh, the elder. And so, but those years between, between the years of 20 and 80, nobody cares. So you really should get it in while it's still good. And she just goes, no, I don't want to. And I'm like, everyone stop coming to me and telling me you're bored. Cause I'm going to come up with stuff that you can do. Yeah, exactly. You're like, don't ever say you're bored around me again. Then I know I, so- I had to, I had to flog myself last week because we need to get one of the things that has happened is we've decided we need to move into a house so that we can have a yard right now. We live in a condo, which has been great, especially as the kids were little to not have to worry about taking care of a yard and all of those things. But now I'm just going stir crazy and insane and we we have to move and we have to have a yard. And so we need to do that. And then we have to wait because you don't want to have a car loan uh, when you're trying to buy a house. So that has to happen after the house. But that is another thing that we, we really need um, because the other one is, gonna just give up on life any moment now. And so I was looking at some while I was getting my car worked on 
And I was like, oh, these are nice. And I was, I was looking at one and I'm thinking to myself, you know, it'd be so nice if the kids had like AC vents so that they could, you know, have some vents and be comfortable. And then I like stop myself and I'm like, what the fuck? My parents never gave two shit if I have AC vents. Like they don't even have a goddamn job. Like we drive them around. We give them everything they want. They just randomly have gifts that show up on their bed. And I'm like, you know, they really could use their own AC vents. They have their whole network of adults that that fight over what presents they get to buy for them. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, like nothing seriously. about their you can't even pretend their life is hard. And here I'm like, oh, they really and I'm like, no. It is not no. rough. It is not rough. They get yeah. no more. Oh my God. So <laughs> for my week this week, um, and apologies to listeners, you may hear pounding and saws and things like that. Uh, not an earthquake happening in Oregon. Although that would be really fucking funny if the, if the big one happens while we're recording the podcast. I would totally save it. No, I would totally save it. Go, guess what? We survived this, y'all. And we'd be so famous. <laughs> but anyway, that's not, that's not what's happening here. <laughs> Hillary's out there really nervous. Like, please don't attract the big one. So we're, uh, you know, we, we found mold in our bathroom at Imolk. Thank you, Bridget, for calling the attention to the major kind of cleansings of the house we needed. So we have been gutting and renovating our bathroom for the last four months. And today my husband is putting up the drywall and it just, watching him do manual labor is one sexy, but two also just shows how completely adept I am with practical skills for living. Like I'm really good with, with planning our finances and talking about taxes or sitting here thinking about what the origins of a specific myth might have been in Iron Age Ireland and how that can be transmuted into the kind of practices we have today as modern day witches. But I don't know how to use a fucking hammer and nails, guys. I'm terrible. I am terrible. When the apocalypse comes, and I've been worried about this long before the pandemic, the warlords will totally leave me behind when they take all the people to start the new civilization and I will be left alone because I'm like, well, except unless I can convince them that I can read tarot. I think that's the one skill I can offer the warlords is like, I can read tarot. I can tell the future and what bands of brigands are coming to get us. Other than that, yeah, I can't build anything uh, I'm a good cook, but you know, over the open, the, I can't start a fire without lighter and lighter fluid. You know, it's a whole thing. Uh, Kanani can build shit. I know you once built a bathroom, but I, I'm screwed, man. Oh, I'm, I'm, it. I'm, I'm out I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't, I never, I never got those. I mean, I, it's, it's not that I don't think that I could, if I learned, it's just that I, that wasn't a skill that I was taught when I was younger. So, and it's not something that I've pursued. Although like I have, many times been like, I really should take a class because there's this part of me that's like, wants to build everything. I'm like, I want to build a greenhouse. I want to build a sauna. I want to build some raised beds. I want to buy a house and do a bunch of reno. And like, I'm like, what the fuck am I talking about? Like, I like, I'm lucky that I can get a picture up on the wall. Like that's where we're at. So dude, I should be better than I am because I have done a lot of tech theater. Like I did a whole summer in summer stock where I was supposed to be building things. I think people were secretly buying each other off so that I would not actually have to be on their squad to help build anything. Cause I was absolute garbage. There was one day I was supposed to cut this two by four with a table saw, which is also like totally scary thing. It didn't really have a cover on it and I'm pushing it through and I don't know what happened. I got scared or something and I didn't push it all the way to the end. So it kicked back. So this giant two by four goes careening into my thigh right? And it bounces off my thigh and like causes a dent on the other side of the room. That's like how hard it hit me. 
And I'm sitting there going, oh, I'm sorry, I should get started again. And they're like, no, you need to go lay down. I literally, they had a bruise the size of a football on the side of my leg. And yeah, but that was like the beginning of, that was the summer where, um, and as this is happening, I'm hearing sawing going on above my head, like the spirits are laughing at me. But that was (laughs) the summer I started witchcraft. And that was the first contract I had to make with the spirits was you have to stop sending me injuries before a prophetic message because I got a prophetic message later that day about a health scare that was going on in my family. And I got the message like a day before the doctor, you know, read out what, what was a problem. But it was like the spirits threw this block of wood at me, giving me a serious injury so I would sit down and receive the message. And so when I first, you know, and that's one of the reasons why I think people get scared of witchcraft at first is because that kind of shit happens without really knowing that you can negotiate. And so I was telling another witch about this because I was a little baby witchlet and she said, you know, you can't tell them not to do that. You can say that is not how you're going to get your messages through to me. Right. And you're not going to hit me with giant two by fours and you leave me. For the size me. Of- yeah. <laughs> no, no more, no more spirits. So yeah, that was a long way of saying I'm, I'm shit with tools, but I'm, I'm good with talking to spirits. So yeah, the warlords will like me very much when the apocalypse happens. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, um, what have I been doing? Well, uh, we, I went to the, it took the dog, it took Riley to the dog park for the first time in a while. Um, I had like driven by a couple times to, it, it was like really crowded and I was like, no, I don't want to be there with a ton of people, but I went by and there was only four people in there, some cute dogs, including one of including one of her favorite dogs to play with named scrunch um and so it that was fun and scrunch. Yeah, scrunch, scrunch is a large bloodhound like huge hound like i mean what i mean like ichabod size but with ears and jowls that hang like a foot down from its head so when he runs it looks like his lips are like wings it's really funny uh and riley just loves him uh, so it was nice to get back to do something that was kind of a little bit normal ish. Um, and people were being very good about keeping distance and staying apart, which was nice. Uh, so yeah, I've been doing some more prep work for the show that, um, the virtual show that's happening with city lights, um, theater company, uh, and Chalista, the cellist that I work with, um, and so just kind of prepping for that. That's on the 26th. We'll post some of that. I know I've mentioned it before, but we'll post some of that on the website. Um, and, and it's also, it's, I think it's nice. It's like kind of gets, gets me in the habit of doing things that are part of my normal life. Uh, and like that doesn't involve just me being like, okay, what am I going to do today? I don't know. Same thing as yesterday. <laughs> so, so that's really good. Making it through sun up, sun down. Exactly. So Kanani, you, uh, you wanted to talk to us a little bit about water magic. What did you want to share with us? I've been, I've been very lucky. My parents actually live at the beach. And so I get to spend a lot of time at the beach and near water and at the ocean and things like that. And something about, uh, particularly summer always makes me feel, uh, very into water magic and probably because, you know, the nicer weather is tends to be when people go to lakes and rivers and oceans, particularly in the Northwest when it is insanely cold every other uh, time of the year. So people don't tend to We get go 10 into days of summer <laughs> and we use the shit out of those 10 it's days. It's so cold, so wet. <laughs> yes, exactly. So 
Um, but I also realize that there's a lot of people who don't have access necessarily to the ocean or uh, rivers or lakes or whatnot. And so uh, I wanted to kind of share a, um, a water ritual or a, a water spell. Um, and so what I actually did was pulled out uh, Onwen Avalon's book, Water Witchcraft, who we had on earlier, yeah, and actually Onwen. pulled out... Yeah, and actually pulled out um, a full moon purification bath because we should have a full moon coming up on uh, July 4th. I need that. Yeah, I'm excited for this. So so what she suggests in her book, Water Witchcraft, was for the bath, you will need a pinch of vervain, three pinches of hyssop, three pinches of ground white rose petals, a teaspoon of baking soda, a cup of Epsom salts and a pinch of sea salt. And one of the things that I want to, she doesn't say it in this, but she talks about it, uh, other um, points in the book, which I think we've mentioned before. Um, a lot of times if, if you don't want to have the herbs floating just in your loose in your bath, you can put them in some sort of like a cloth bag or um, something that you would use to like diffuse tea so it kind of keeps it together. So it gets all the essence of the herbs in it without necessarily, you know, clogging up your, your tub. Um, but I did like that she uses both Epsom salts and also sea salt. So I thought that's kind of fun. That's and awesome. she said, Under a full moon, combine your ingredients into a sacred vessel that has been cleansed and consecrated. As you place each ingredient into the vessel, pray over it, asking your deity or spirits to bless them and make them holy. Place the vessel under the full moon to charge. When your herbs are fully charged, mix or grind them together into a blend, stirring sunwise nine times. As you do so, visualize a pure white ball of light dancing over the herbs, making them holy and ready for purification. When you are finished, take your ingredients inside and fill your bathtub with water. When your bath is ready, pour the mixture into the tub and stir the bath sunwise nine times while you chant the incantation below. Spirits of the waters deep, my humble soul cleanse and keep. Purify my body and soul, remove impurities and make me whole. With the power of the lake, river, swamp, and sea, make me holy, purify me. She also specifies that you would let, you want to have the water touch your entire body, including your hair. Hmm. So I thought that was a really, really cool, um, a really cool bath. And, um, you know, clearly if you want, you yeah. could ha- substitute other herbs. If there are other ones that, um, if you, you know, don't like these or maybe have a reaction to some of these, you can always kind of switch that out. But I thought there were some great, um, some great suggestions and whatnot. And she has a, just a ton of great, um, different water. She has a lot of bath stuff specifically, which I think is great. And I think part of that has to do with that's kind of universally. Usually we all have the ability for that. So even if you have to kind of, you don't have a tub, but you can do it in a shower kind of version. But so it just discusses, you know, charging the water and the herbs and the salts in the full moon and then pouring that into the bath. And I thought that was very cool. Are you going to use any of the ocean water you collected when we were at the coast? I am. I'm trying to decide what I want to use it for. I was actually going to use it. Um, one of the things I really need to do is I really need to cleanse a lot of my tools. 
Yeah. And so I was actually, what I was thinking about doing is actually kind of, it's kind of funny. It's actually the same thing now that I think about it. But what I was thinking was charging that water in the full moon. And then actually, instead of purifying myself, I was going to use the charged water to kind of cleanse some of, some of the tools on my altar and whatnot that I just, I have not done. Mm. A suggestion for those people that don't have baths at home, um, you can uh, brew that into like a pot or a bowl and dump it over your head uh, while you're in the oh, yeah. shower. Yeah, um, that's, 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 that's the old school stuff. A lot of um, hoodoo traditions do that. When I was living in New York, I didn't have a bathtub, so I did a lot of my cleansings just like that in the shower. I also, I also have done it where I soaked my feet in it as well, um, especially for grounding stuff, because I feel like uh, when I do grounding bath work, when I uh, lived in a place with, you know, I live, it was like literally, I don't even know that you could call it a shower. It was so small. Like you could barely, you have to be like, okay, I guess I can turn around like this. To, okay. I got to grab the shampoo up. Oh, that's over there. I can't get back. You know, it was that small. Um, uh, when I did grounding uh, uh, bath or water magic, I would do, I would do it uh, on my feet. Um since that is what kind of grounds you anyway. Um, and so Courtney, you watched what we do in the shadows. Is yes, that I did. Well, it's, so it's, it's this, this is so surreal because normally as listeners know, Kanani is the one who's doing the movie reviews or the television reviews. And I'm the one who's doing the, this is your weekly magic report, but she couldn't get around to watch the movie this week. But, and I have not been able to get around to doing magic this week. Part of the reason why is that my husband and I got really sucked into what we do in the shadows, which you can see on Hulu. There's two seasons out. So I'm a little bit late to the game in this. Um, not as late as Kanani who watches a movie 10 years after the rest of the world has already seen it. <laughs> but um, this show is so fucking good guys. It is hilarious. So here's the premise. It's one of those documentary style shows, which I happen to like those like, you know, kind of like the office or, um, or uh, I think parks and rec was similar, but this is about uh, four vampires that live at a big house in Staten Island, New York. And it's supposedly following them in their lives. And they're totally boring, totally self-absorbed. And they're also like 700-year-old vampires. And they're like learning to navigate the world. And they have a, a familiar who's a mortal person who really wants to become a vampire. And so it just shows like how, how they try to get their victims, um, how, what, like the, the underground vampire society and just some of the cultural things that don't quite get caught on. Like I would, I'm not going to give everything away, but they ended up at a Super Bowl party thinking it was some other kind of occult ritual. Um, and my husband and I find ourselves like laughing at these lines all the time. There's one thing that's really interesting about the show and that they have one of their vampires is an energy vampire. And so he bores people to death and like sucks their life force out of them because he gets them into very intense conversations about just really ridiculous minutia. And he also trolls them on the internet and drains people's energy that way. And that's how he feeds. Whereas the other vampires are like the typical ones that feed on blood. And then one day he meets an emotional vampire who's constantly preying on people's emotions. And I literally had to like stand up and walk out of the room because I've been in one too many situations with energy or emotional vampires. And like a lot of people in the pagan community talk about somebody being a psychic vampire, an emotional vampire. We don't really talk about what that means, but if you see the show, you're like, Oh my God, I know who that person is. I know it's that person. (laughs) Oh my God. And it's like, it's, it's, I gotta say it. You get a lot of them in the witchcraft community that just like corner you and have to tell you this very intense story 
and you can't get away. And I'm God. like, I, I hate being cornered like that too, because I'm like, I'm not ready for this like heavy. I like, I wasn't ready. I'm not prepared. To be um, fair though, I did watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie and, and salivated the whole time over Luke Perry, making my husband incredibly uncomfortable. So I did do that. You're salivating over a dead man. I don't remember you loving Luke Perry. Oh, I have always loved Luke Perry. Are you kidding? I've watched everything. I, um, I didn't watch whatever se- the newer season he did. Apparently he was doing a show because I just don't watch a whole lot of sitcoms anymore. I feel like. Um, but so I wasn't watching whatever he was doing, but I swear to you, I've, I think I've seen every movie he's ever been in and just, I, it was, it was always the bad boys. It was Donnie Wahlberg and new kids on the block. Okay. Right. And it was Luke Perry from Beverly Hills, 90210. That's my jam. Yeah. Those are my boys. Oh my Love them. But, but did you them. also, in Boys to Men, you liked the really sweet guy, the one with the cane, like the sweetest of the sweet guys. Oh, the one with the fan. cane? Well, that's because he had that deep voice. I saw them in concert. I saw them in concert three times, and one time he wasn't there, and I, I just couldn't do it anymore. If you want to sum up my middle school, high school infatuation and my my favorite music, that was pretty much my, my music was... 90s R&B hip hop. That's what I Cry have on my Spotify playlist. Like that's Cry still what I listen to to this day. That is my jam. Oh, now it just makes me uncomfortable. Like this is why this is why I was the the creepy weird girl that would not give up on my crushes for like years because I listened to too much boys to men. That's what you do if you you're into somebody, you stick around. And I'm like, mm, <laughs> no, I know it's probably shouldn't move on. I think I'm trying to remember because you were there when I had my first kiss. I know. And I was there when the song was, playing was a boys to men song. It was it a was, cool uh, dance. It was, it was uh, on bended knee. Huh? On bended knee. I think it was, it was on bended knee. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, God. I have so many memories that just correlate particularly with that band, but a lot of nineties R and B in general, but that band, because it was so popular when we were doing school dances that, that to me, oh, that yeah. it's, I mean, it was super crazy. clean and super romantic. So yeah, of course they're going to play it at the Catholic high school when you crash the dance and get in trouble with making out with boys. <laughs> I dance. And now most of it, I listen to it in my car and when my kids are in the car and I'll be listening to it and then they'll start some of the stuff I'm hearing them say. And I'm like, Oh, going to have to change that. No, Hillary, Kanani's first kiss was at a dance at our high school with a boy oh. in my class. No. Yes. What? She, yes. She, she had me go because it. It, happened to, it happened to fall on my, her, your guys' school dance was on my birthday. And she's like, what more fun birthday thing than to come to a school dance, come to my school dance. And so I went to the school dance and then, and nuns were like tapping me like, you're dancing too close. Oh my God. That's true. I don't that's know true. how I didn't know that story. That is so. I, yeah, no. And that's, do we, should we tell the sad part? It was someone who, who died three years to the day later in October, also on my birthday. Also on your birthday? Yeah. So that was a nice phone call I got to make was that, hey, Kanani, you know, the guy that you kissed for the first time. Yeah. He died today. And it was literally three years to the day that I had met him. Uh-huh. 
Met him and kissed him. I mean, Met him and kissed him. That's how I roll. <laughs> that is how I roll. Well, I would like to introduce our guest. Today we have with us Devin Hunter. Devin Hunter is the best-selling author of the Witch Power series, Llewellyn 2016 to 2018, the creator of Modern Witch podcast, blog, mag- and magazine, as well as, uh, as well as a professional psychic medium and occultist. He is part owner of Satyrs Inc. and an initiate of multiple occult orders, including his own Sacred Fires, and is the co-founder of the Black Rose tradition of witchcraft. He has been featured in multiple publications and is a frequent presenter and keynote at conferences and festivals throughout the nation. His highly anticipated fourth book, Modern Witch, Spells, Recipes, and Workings, a a pictorial spell book and grimoire, Grimoire was released this February, which is very exciting. And we are very excited to have you, Devin. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for uh, inviting me. Yeah. Welcome to that Witch Life podcast. For me, it's kind of bittersweet because in another universe, a parallel universe, all of us are getting together at Sunfest right now. Instead, we're getting together over the podcast because Devin, you and Storm were supposed to be the main ritualists at Sunfest this year. Yeah, we had big plans. So we're just we're just holding on to those plans until next year. So I know we spent the first part of the podcast talking about like Courtney and Kanani nonsense stories, but we're about to hear another one that involves Storm and Devin. So <laughs> you know, so like how Hillary and I have it, it's like okay, if you're friends with me long enough, there will be an inside joke that will make us completely inappropriate whenever we're around each other. It's just the way it goes. So Hillary and I have our inside joke about pigs. And Kanani and I have our inside joke about penguins in that we, when we were in seventh grade, we pretended that there, we had a, an imaginary friend named Bobo that we could see the penguin and nobody else could. And it used to make everybody really mad. And they'd be like, Courtney, there's no penguin. We're like, don't insult Bobo. He's offended. <laughs> and, oh my God. And, and that's how that got started. So. When that does I, not surprise me. That does, yeah. not, that does not surprise me. No. And so about, it was two years ago at Sunfest, just before Sunfest, I ended up with this blow up penguin and I was like, oh, I know what to do with this. So I took it with me to Sunfest mm-hmm. and Kadani had to leave Sunfest for a few hours to go be a good mom and go to her daughter's dance recital. And so as soon as she goes, I blow up the penguin and I stick it in her sleeping bag. And then I run off into the woods to hang out and drink wine with Storm and Devin. <laughs> a few hours later, Kanani, it's like dark and Kanani comes marching up the path like, uh-huh, there you are. <laughs> I was like, so what's up? She goes, yeah. So I go into my sleeping bag and I figure that you were really drunk and passed out in it. And then I got closer and I'm like, damn it, Courtney's not even breathing. How am I going to get her out of my tent? And I'm like, right. Eventually there's going to be a smell. I was like, that was what you were worried about? And then she goes, yeah, but then I saw it was a blow-up penguin. And I was like, Storm and Devin were looking at us like, what the hell is going on? Because Kanani was like, I thought you were dead, and I was totally irritated. And I'm like, you thought I was dead, and that was your reaction? You're not even a little nervous? She's like, no, I just wanted you out of my sleeping bag. Oh, my God. What a terrible friend. (laughs) That's how Devin met Kanani was when she was annoyed with me because I left a giant, like, adult-sized penguin in her sleeping bag. <laughs> and she went... <laughs> oh, my God. Now, now, but my side of this experience was that I was 
drinking lots of wine with Courtney in the middle of the woods <laughs> at nighttime. And then suddenly this woman shows up and starts talking about a penguin. And I wasn't exactly <laughs> sure that something hadn't, you know, like that I hadn't accidentally like smoked something or eaten something. And I wasn't aware <laughs> like oh, there was an actual penguin. Is this a thing here? No, you, you guys just have like this ongoing joke. And, and <laughs> then suddenly like- I became privy to it. I was like, right. Oregon is kind of far north, but I didn't think it was that far north. Of Maybe. Are there penguins in Oregon? Like, I'm really confused about what's happening here. I thought that was a Canadian thing. Maybe. Very confusing. Is, there sort of, yeah. is there some sort of thing that I just, clearly there's a thing that I don't understand. I'm not. <laughs> the funniest yeah. part of this is now I'm trying to figure out what the fuck happened to, to the inflatable penguin. And I have no idea. <laughs> Your husband was trying to convince you not to bring it home, and I was like, "No, you have to bring it home. Like, it belongs with this you." This is coming home with you, seriously. He probably no. threw it away. That's probably what happened. Oh no, no. not Bobo! He killed Bobo. That's terrible. <laughs> oh, Bobo will never die. Bobo will just change forms, mutate because energy—the energy of Bobo—cannot be contained in one life form. Oh, my God! <laughs> <laughs> All right, children. <laughs> Pull it together. <laughs> oh, Don't make me turn this man around again. Um, so, Devin, the first, God damn, I hate you guys. Devin, the, one of the first things we ask people when they come on here is, how did you first know you were a witch or a magical person? Oh, that's a, that's a big one. Um, for So I was a weird psychic kid, and I actually um, went looking for answers to what I was experiencing, why I was experiencing it. Um, and we actually ended up living in a really, really haunted farmhouse that was part of the Underground Railroad. And so um, in that house, I had some of the, the strongest experiences. Um, and it really pushed me over the edge when it came to, you know, understanding that I was either not mentally healthy or there was something else going on. And um, I was lucky I had parents that I could talk to about this kind of stuff. And, uh, and so, you know, just to be sure, they definitely took me in just to make sure I wasn't, you know, losing my nut and, uh, it's all still there. Thankfully, all the marbles, all the, everything's there. Um, but that was a concern, you know, cause you're, here's my kid talking to the wall. Right. Um, and it ended up being just these really intense experiences and it led to, like I said, the search for answers that, uh, ultimately led me to the occult and, um, getting kicked out of church wasn't, wasn't uh, like, you know, uh, didn't steer me away from that experience of finding out who I was. Oh, uh, oh do you want to talk about that? We talk about church. So, uh, I got kicked out of church when I was 13 years, well, 12 years old. Um, because uh, long story short, um, one of the parents of the, a friend of mine in the youth group, um, found out that I was a witchy boy and that, or at least I wasn't as, as clean and clear cut as they were. Um, and so I, long story reader's digest version. Um, I ended up getting an exorcism when I was 12 years old from a group of like 40 and 60 year old men. Um, and they were the church elders and they sequestered me away after youth group one night. And my, my mom had no idea what was going on. She didn't even go to the church. And, uh, they like stood in a circle around me and they started praying and speaking in tongues and telling me I was possessed by the devil. Uh, and, uh, and, and it was a combination of like, well, he's obviously not as, as as good Bible kid as the rest of our kids, but he's also obviously gay. And so there was a good chunk of that in there. Oh, and no. yeah, it was not, yeah, it wasn't a good terrifying. experience. Yeah. That's so so I, and I knew it was wrong. 
Yeah, yeah. And so I knew it was wrong. And at that experience, and, you know, when that happened, there was no question about where I was going to be the safest as just as a person, as a gay person, as uh, somebody who was a spiritual seeker trying to get answers that I wasn't safe in the Pentecostal church that I was going to. Um, And it just, that was all I needed. I, it gave me that, that license to just say, screw it and go figure it out for myself. And, uh, and so I did. And so I, I became even, even weirder and uh, witchier and got, you know, uh, I was lucky my father was a pagan. And so I could go, you know, visit him and he gave me my first deck of tarot cards and uh, got me some books. And um, it, it, you know, it was just enough of an oasis uh, to be able to connect to something and and kind of grow with it. So I was kind of raised by a pagan sort of, my parents were divorced, but my father is pagan and uh, my mother is still hardcore, Pentecostal Christian, um, and yet they found a way to to kind of work with this strange kid that they had, um, who was seeing things and having experiences. And because of that, I was able to um, really figure out who I was and make sure that I was mentally healthy and make sure that I was balanced and had all the things I needed. And um, and I was lucky because I know there's a lot of kids who are sensitive out there who don't get parents that want to talk about what they're experiencing. They just want to put them on pills or something. And my, my mother had the exact opposite uh, response to me, even, even though she was a hardcore Christian, she was saying, no, my kid is saying stuff that's turning out to be real. And I, you know, I can't say this is evil because he's not doing anything evil with it. And um, so I had a really supportive mother, thankfully. And, oh gosh, uh, and that so just, glad. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got lucky with in all of that in all of those regards, but the, the church was one of those, you know, when that happened, I was like, all right, you're, you got to go guy. Like, this is not, this is not good for you. This is not healthy for you. And I actually started laughing in the middle of it, which in retrospect, I'm sure these guys were oh, like just horrified, <laughs> but it, it was the most awkward experience of my life. Like I had all these, you know, these grown men just holding hands and praying and speaking in tongues. And, and it was just, there's so much anxious energy in the air. And I just started laughing and I'm sure that was not the response they were expecting to get out of an exorcism. Um, Devin, you're but, supposed to have a cloud of black smoke come out of your mouth and then you cry and hug us and thank us. It's not how you're supposed to do it. Yeah, I did it wrong. And I, they're still there, you know, the, the, whatever they were trying to get rid of is still there. So Eh, whatever it all worked out for me, but you know, yeah. So I had an interesting kind of start to the the journey. We'll say, yeah, I, I'm so glad that you had someone in your family that you could go to because I can I can imagine if if you know you didn't or that your parents weren't open minded in that regard, that would just be such a traumatizing. Thing. I mean, I'm sure it was traumatizing to begin with, but you know, I think it would be you know, to not have anyone that you could go process that with or say, you know, Hey, this isn't clearly, this is not what I want to do. Uh, clearly this is not the religion for me. Um, oh my gosh. Wow. Thank you for sharing that with us. Absolutely. Oh, I got all kinds of stories. <laughs> it's not entirely the same, but Devin, when I was the same age, I got kicked out of Girl Scouts for making my scout leader cry. So, you know, you are so we can powerful. Have that in Kanani, you are just so powerful. I knew it the moment I met you. <laughs> the penguin lady has got some juju going on. For yes, her. yes. <laughs> um, was there, you know, after that point, uh, you know, was there, as you, were there any other kind of moments as you continued to age that you felt kind of clicked for you um, in, in kind of honing in that, that side of you? 
Yeah. Um, I, so I grew up in Brown County, Ohio, which is, uh, we, we, you know, if you live there, you jokingly refer to it as the armpit of America. Um, it's right. It's, it's really close to the Ohio river. Um, but it's not close enough to any of the major cities that, uh, you get a lot of, inf- you get a lot of culture. We'll put it that way. And, um, and so I, you know, I was raised in this very rural area where there was a huge, and there still is a huge problem with meth. And so 50%, uh, and this is no joke, this is no lie, I'm not exaggerating, um, and the number's probably higher now, but 50% of my graduating class, and there were a little over 200 of us, um, are either dead or in jail for meth-related crimes. And so when we were growing up, you know, I had, I have, uh, one of my, we lost really good friends of the family to meth and, um, just, you know, the health problems that come when that, be, you know, and that's part of your life. And it, it was just, there was so much just death and helplessness and hopelessness and um, lots of, uh, so many people with drug addictions. And that just became that part of America that, um, you know, I was reared in and I didn't want to be that. I, I drugs scare the hell out of me. I, it took me a long time to even like drink and, you know, I just, it, it freaks me out because I, I've just, I was presented with the, the absolute extreme horribleness before I was given any like, Oh, a responsible adult can have a drink and it's not a problem. Um, and so it, you know, I was, I was just really shy from that and being around people who were on meth um, there's a smell, there's a characteristic, there's this, just this psychic, just metallic, weird energy to just be around. It's just not good. And I didn't want to be anything like that. And so while, you know, I, I had my, I had marching band and then I would go home for marching band, uh, you know, from school and I would study witchcraft and, and witchcraft was my anti-drug. And it was that in marching band. Um, and so, you know, while other kids were going out and having sex and, you know, doing drugs and, and all of those sorts of things, I was um, reading books on, you know, witchcraft and magic. And it gave me just a solid place to have some sort of foundation. Um, and it was a creative outlet as well, because there's so much beautiful um, just story that, that comes when you start studying witchcraft and the mythology of the cultures that we study. And there was just so much to do. You know, there, I, I was connecting with myself and connecting with a higher power and trying to make sense of these weird psychic experiences I was having. And I wanted to get out of this shitty little town that I grew up in. And um and I did. And I used magic to do it. And, uh, you know, I, I often will tell people that witchcraft saved my life. And I really mean that, it, you know, it was my anti-drug as a kid, as a teenager. Um, it became the constant source of inspiration to get through. I was sexually assaulted when I was uh, 19 and it helped me get through that. It helped me pick up myself, you know, by the bootstraps so many times because from my practice and my uh, particular relationship to witchcraft, um, the goddess I work with is Diana and she, you know, she's the goddess of freedom. And so um, the idea of having a personal Lord and savior was, is just so not part of her vocabulary. She was not going to save me, but she was going to help me save myself. She was going to, she was going to be my Yoda uh, so I could be my own Skywalker. And that's this beautiful relationship that's lasted my entire lifetime. And um, you know, it, if it weren't for having a, a, a goal of, of bettering my life and becoming a, a, a person that I could respect when I got older, um, if it weren't for those things and, and having witchcraft as my partner to build that, I, I wouldn't be here today. I mean, I really don't think I would be. 
Yeah, I think that it, it's something that I, I know for me during struggles or during things that I've been through that have just been, uh, you know, all encompassing. It's it has been a, a steady for me. It's like been the thing that has has been stable, you know. But we would love to hear you talk a little bit about what it's like to run a witchcraft business. And I know obviously right now you've had a major shift in the way you run things and because this isn't really unprecedented time. But if you could talk about just kind of developing a business in general and then what you've done to adapt, you know, through this, I I know our listeners would be eager to hear that. Uh, Yeah, of course. Uh, So I have been a quote unquote professional witch for, oh, a little over 18 years now. And uh, it all start, well, no, it's almost 18 years now. It all started uh, when I was, I was uh, almost 16. I wasn't just quite 16. Um, and I was hanging out with the older people. I had friends that were in their twenties and thirties. Um, Cause witches at, at that point in time, witches were just meeting other witches. We just wanted to hang out. And I don't think I would let my 16 year old hang out with a 30 year old these days, but uh, back then it wasn't terribly like, you know, uncommon. Um, and, uh, and so I actually started doing readings for a friend of mine who owned this kind of little shop inside of a flea market. And so I would go to her, uh, thing on the weekends and I would do readings and I wouldn't take any of the money. Cause I was one of those people who had a, a hang up about taking money for, for magic services and readings and things. Um, that has since completely gone away. And, uh, but you know, so I would give her all the money just cause I wanted her to be able to pay her rent. She was having a hard time just because witchcraft supplies weren't really flowing. Um, and so it started that way. And then it, it really wasn't until I was, uh, actually dating somebody who was from Biloxi, Mississippi, and who had spent a lot of time in New Orleans, um, that I started to question my approach to the way that I was offering services and things to people. Again, it was it was very, I was all about being free. I wanted to just be one of those people who could offer spiritual advice and readings and things um, to the world as, as just a, uh, I don't know, like some sort of just thing that I could do. I, I, I just thought that's what a spiritual person did. Um, and then I, I was with my, my partner at the time and he's, and I was having a really hard time paying my car payment and I was working 40 hours a week. And, um, and he looked at me and he said, if Britney Spears can get paid millions of dollars for her talent, then why can't you? And I went to come up with some excuse and to, to verify, you know, to, to kind of uh, validate my, my previous uh, kind of stance on things. And then I, I just quickly realized that when it comes to, you can't pay your rent, like, you know, you can't pay your car payment, really, you should be doing whatever you can do if, if it's possible. And if other people were charging, why couldn't I? Um, and so I, I slowly started, you know, t- building up a clientele and, and working to, uh, in the direction of, of trying to be, uh, this kind of magical, uh, sales guy who would just load up his car with, with witchcraft supplies and then go from festival to festival. And when I wasn't doing that, I was, um, you know, seeing clients and, and I did this for a, a couple of years. And then, you know, when festival season wasn't happening, I was, um, either coaching or volunteering somewhere, but I would have like a job as a bartender and that's how I survived. And so I, I was doing a lot of things for a, a many, many years. And, uh, and then I ended up uh, coming out here to California after meeting Storm and Chaz, who are my partners. And they had a shop called the mystic dream. And, uh, at that point in time, the, you know, this is 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago. Um, 
I had come out because I, I had been working for a couple of magical businesses and helping them with uh, stock and orders and figuring out, um, you know, everything from payroll to uh, just being there to teach classes and things like that. So I'd been working, I think at that point I'd gone through four different shops and I was feeling really bad because every shop I worked for would close. Um, it, I would start working for a magical shop and then maybe four to six months and they would close. And this just kept happening over and over again. So when I got the job offer to come out to California and be the store manager for the guys' store, and this was before we had really gotten serious, um, we we knew you know there might be some romance there. We were hoping there would be romance there. We didn't really quite know, but they knew that I filled a job description that they needed somebody who had particular sets of skills. And so I got this job. I came out here, um, and it really quickly turned into this because uh, the economy changed. So I think I moved out to California and then two months later, we started going through an, uh, the recession, like the really bad, uh, it's it, the hiccups of, of needing bailout and, you know, all of that stuff started going down and the, the business tanked. I mean, it just, I mean, everywhere business tanked. And I started to really quickly realize why all of these shops that I had worked for were going out of business. Uh, this was before the recession. Um, and it had to, it had a lot to do with um, the way pagans like to spend their money, the way uh, people who are in the spiritual world like to spend their money, and uh, being in a position where you can really ebb and flow with that and understand the needs of the people. Um, and so, you know, when the economy started tanking, people weren't spending money on big crystals and they weren't spending money on things that they didn't see as essential parts of their spirituality. Um, but when the economy is good, you know, people are, are, are buying themselves gifts. They're going to go buy a big amethyst or they're going to go uh, spend money on a reading, you know, those sorts of things. And so the, the market changes and shifts as the economy changes and shifts. And when people are feeling confident, you know, just like with anything, they're going to go spend money. And when they're not, they do not spend money. Um, and so, you know, the, the store, the Mystic Dream, uh, has been around for 30 years. It started way back in 1980 and 89 and, um, it has been a, a staple here in the Bay Area. Uh, it's the longest running store, or at least up to this point, was the longest running storefront um, in the Bay Area. And we recently, because of the COVID shifts that have happened, uh, we've had to really make some hardcore decisions about what to do with the business. And so I came on as part owner of the business three years ago, and we, we formed Satyrs Incorporated, which uh, owns the Mystic Dream and owns Modern Witch and all of our all of our various projects that we each were doing, we uh, we decided that we were going to kind of conglomerate and, and make Satyrs Incorporated. Um, and so the store is a, is a part of Satyrs Incorporated. And uh, yeah, so, you know, COVID-19 hit and uh, we, we're we in the Bay, it's the San Francisco Bay Area, which was uh, the second county, like where my particular county, Contra Costa, was the second county in the country to respond to COVID and um, shut down. And so we have been shut down for going on three and a half months now. And um, it is, uh, we had to make the decision to close our storefront uh, just last week, actually. And that just gets down to in the Bay Area, rent is not cheap. As everybody in the world knows, it's just one of the most expensive places to live. Um, and commercial real estate is even more so. And so I, I can comfortably tell you the numbers now because we ran away. <laughs> but uh, we were paying 9000 a month in rent. 
And um, it is, it was, it's a beautiful, yeah, huge, huge money. Um, It's a big store, you know, it's got a huge storefront, there are classrooms, offices, the whole nine yards, but we weren't using it. Uh, One of the things that's changed over the past uh, probably five or six years is that people really don't do classes and events the same way that they used to. We, especially in our area, we could host, you know, any author, people would come in, we'd have, you know, 50, 60 people show up. And now you you have an author come in, we could promote for months and you might get 10, you know, so events have changed the interest in those sort of things. People, you know, why leave your house if you could just get online and take a class, um, that became part of it. The other thing is Bay Area people are notorious for not wanting to travel. And so, um, so you know, that, that became a thing. And and so just the business really changed. And as it was changing and, and the market was, was shifting, you know, our rent kept going up. And um, the particular neighborhood that we were in um, just absolutely priced us out. They got a Neiman Marcus down the road and uh, started, you know, an Apple store. And this is just a couple blocks away from us. And, and they just... The rent skyrocketed. And so within two, well, no, within three years, our rent had doubled. And um, our landlord, when we went to go sign the last lease, let us know that there would be increases in rent um, cumulatively over the next couple of years. And so, you know, we're in this position of like, all right, look, we're in this business first and foremost because we actually do want to help people. And, um, we can't do that if we can't pay our rent and we can't pay rent because we've been closed for almost four months. And so even with online sales and shifting to really focusing on online sales, we were down to below 6% of our normal revenue that was coming in. So there's no way we're going to be able to pay the rent. And um, so we, you know, we, we took the, the option of breaking the lease uh, which was not easy to do. The building, we you know that business has been there for 30 years. People will come t- home from wherever they've moved to and they don't remember the name of the store, but they remember where it is. And um, that's a very common thing for us as a business to experience. So, you know, and people have been coming there since they were kids. I have an employee who um, was taken there when she was like five or five years old and she basically grew up at our store and then became an employee. Um, so it, it's a it's a big part of the community out here, and even if you know people weren't really flooding to come see an author speak or whatnot, they still knew where to come to get what they needed. They still were coming to get their resources and to meet other people, and and it's hard. It's a it's that's the hardest part is that we are taking that away, um, at least for a little bit. the The plan is, I mean, to be completely honest with you, the the plan is to reopen within the next ten to twelve months uh, once we know what's going on with the economy and you know we we didn't think it was wise to continue to sink out nine grand a month in rent uh, when we don't know you know what's going on there still isn't a plan from the county or from the state yet as far as reopening small business storefronts um, and so and even into August right now we just found out they just kind of released a new thing so you know we we have a, a magic shop you want to come in and pick up the crystals and you want to you know look at the books and the tarot cards you want to touch things and you know when you have a business that's really built on people being able to touch and engage uh, and you take that away from them uh, it, it becomes a really difficult thing and so um you know, it's, it's hard. It's definitely hard because we, we are going to miss our regulars. We're going to miss the people who would come in. We had a, a local who was, um, he was deaf and he would come in every morning and he'd open the door and just with the biggest smile, he'd just say, hello. And then he would just leave. And it was just like, you know, and that was just what he did. It was part of his routine. And, and, um, 
that's gone now, you know? And so there's just those moments we have of just like, oh, we may never see this person again. And, um, you know, or somebody who was just a, a kind of a townie, you know, and, and we're never going to see that person again. So it's just that kind of stuff. That's hard. Um, but the idea of having a business that can survive a, a recession is way more appealing and it's more comforting because, you know, at this point, it isn't just a, a, a place to, to go to buy your crystals and your candles. It's, it's also how I make my living. You know, it's how my employees make their living. Um, so we're in, we're in this huge transition period. My, my living room is full of products. Um, and, you know, we have until the end of the month to kind of pack up and get out of that storefront. Um, so we're rebuilding the website and looking at um, ways we can uh, not just put energy into the website, but also make the website a, a larger presence within the business. Um, so it's kind of forcing our hand on that a little bit, which I think is actually a good thing. Um, so yeah, lots of changes. It's, it's not easy to be a metaphysical business owner um, for a lot of reasons. Um, but I realized I've just been talking for so much that I wanted to give somebody else a chance to chime in if they wanted <laughs> no, to. No, I mean, I think that's, I think, you know, I, I really... I really appreciate you sharing that because I think, you know, um, even though metaphysical shops have their particular set of challenges, I think so many people, certainly many of our listeners who are small business owners are probably experiencing something really similar, you know? And I think that, um, you know, uh, while it's devastating to have to shut a physical store, I think it also gives us the opportunity to be really innovative um, and find ways to get our products and our services out to an audience in a different way. Um, and I know you mentioned online classes. Can you talk a little bit about, um, what online classes look like for you? Yeah. So we noticed, uh, as we noticed that people weren't coming to physical events as much, um, and we started talking to our other friends who had businesses, um, in the metaphysical world, we're, we're really good friends with every shop owner in the Bay area. Um, I'm good friends with shop owners all over the country being an author. I get the privilege of just traveling and meeting shop owners. And, um, so getting to talk to those people, um, all over the country who were, struggling to keep their business afloat or to take their business to the next level. Um, because that's your, right. That's what you want to do as a business owner. Um, we really realized very quickly that online classes were kind of where the future was. Right. And so, and this was five or six years ago. Um, so we sat down and created the mystic dream Academy, which was just kind of the, an extension from our physical store, um, that was providing classes. And so we, we started the Academy with one program. It was, it's a black rose witchcraft. That was the original kind of, uh, thing that we were doing there. And it's a 13 month course. It's all self-paced and you, it's a drip content thing. So you sign up, you subscribe, and then you get lessons weekly dropped to you. And it's, uh, it's this really beautiful thing in full colored book of shadows that I designed. And it's, it's this really neat program. And uh, so we started that and that was quickly becoming very popular. And so we started putting energy into other classes. And now we've got everything from um, a, a conjure course, if you're interested in, in American folk magic and, and conjure. Um, my partner, Chaz Bogan, who wrote The Secret Keys of Conjure, uh, he wrote an entire class out that's like a year-long uh, hardcore study in American conjure and folk magic. And um, then you've got uh, me teaching the Witch Power Masterclass, which is where I take my uh, my Witch Power series um, that is now completely 
complete and I made a whole class around it so we can take it further and there's meditations and, you know, all of that good stuff. So the Academy became this surprise for us because we, we thought, oh, well, you know, maybe even if just 10, 15 people sign up for something, that's great. We just wanted to have it there available and offer it. And it became this really big deal. So there's there's over 500 registered people on the website um, that are like actively taking something at some point, and it's just this beautiful community that we were never expecting to develop around these little classes that we were creating, and it's the coolest thing. And so you know when when this started happening, you know and you know, we were kind of put with the the same place of, oh shit, what are we going to do? This just happened to us 10 years ago, right? And so how are we going to survive this again? Um, and what we didn't have 10 years ago was the Academy. The Academy wasn't part of the business. It wasn't, it wasn't something that we were, you know, had even thought of. And so we're in a better position because of that. And we're in a position where we get to uh, you know, and invest the more time into making classes. And um, finally, you know, we have this list of classes and material that we've been, you know, all of us have been kind of individually working on and, and whatnot. We just haven't had time to really sit down and galvanize it. Well, now we have time. Um, so that's great. And Matt Oren just moved in. He's my new roomie. Um, yes. And so, which we is super cool. And he's- We were all drunk and high- at the beginning of the pandemic is he had literally moved into your house like the day before. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, that's right. That's right. So he's here now and he is, um, he's going to, he's teaching classes on the, the Academy now too. He's working on a whole psychic witch thing for the Academy. And so it's just really great. And uh, my goal is to hopefully get other authors to come on. It's, it's a really wonderful platform. We're using the same software that colleges use, um, to teach their students. And so it's really neat. It's, it's just a, it's been a blessing, you know, to be honest with you, just to be able to create community online um, around the things that we're interested in, the things that we're doing, and it be something that's just well received is really, really cool. So it's uh, it gave us the confidence to be able to say, you know what, we're gonna just we're gonna focus on this thing over here, and we're gonna let the you know the economy do its thing, and we're gonna make the shifts we need to make. We're gonna batten on the hatches, um, and we're gonna wait for you know the right property to open up another store location, and in doing so, um, really hopefully expanding the academy and taking it to the next level. I mean, I think that's so great because outside of it being so valuable to have. Uh, online resources for people, especially right now who are inside and, and, you know, it's a beautiful thing to be able to find something that inspires you to be able to develop your own skills. But it's also really such an amazing uh, resource for people that are in areas where they don't have a shop. They don't, they don't have really a lot of community. You know, we've had readers write in before that, um, you know, that are like, I'm in this very small town. There's no one like me there. I don't know how to find a community. I don't know. You know, so I think it's really, um, I think having that access online is so powerful for people that are in that position. Um, so that's really exciting to hear that you guys are continuing to develop that. And we'll definitely put this on the website for those of you that are listening so that you can go and check it out and take some classes and, and gain more witch skills. So speaking of things that have been affected by the pandemic, um, I know that you had planned, as we mentioned before, to be at Sunfest, and we would love it if you could give us a little glimpse into what you might have done while you were there. Because I know, I mean, I I was actually really excited to attend for the first time. Last year was supposed to be my first time, and I got super bad food poisoning, like so sick, and I had to cancel. Um, and so, 
I was really bummed when I obviously realized I couldn't be there and couldn't see what you were going to do there. So can you kind of tell our reader of uh, readers, can you tell her, can you kind of tell our uh, listeners what, um, you know, what you were planning to do at Sunfest? Absolutely. I, and I, I can't wait to, uh, honestly, my, I'm, I'm a little excited that I've got more time, um, because I realized that, um, one of the one of my favorite things to do is to like spend an entire year um, really hardcore working with a type of spirit and developing material around it and then presenting it. And so, even though Dianus um, is is my patron, I that's the that's the guy I work with. Um, I was really looking forward to having a year to develop some some really juicy outer court materials to share. So um, I, I'm telling you this because the work isn't over. I'm, I'm actually going to spend this year in um, in a little bit of a spiritual retreat developing this this material further so that when it does come time for Sunfest, not only is every, you know, are we all going to get to have a, a more enriched experience, but it's going to be coming from a place of, of a solid year of, of meditation and devotion. And I'm, so I'm really looking forward to that, but Whoa. the idea, yeah, it's, it's going to be fun. Uh, so the idea uh, with the, with the working is essentially it all surrounds um, this kind of obscure God, um, that I refer to as, as Dianus and Dianus, um, is, uh, was first kind of presented to me through the work of Raven Grimasi. Um, and we, there, so there's this, um, kind of old school occult philosophy of the divine twins and the divine twins are, are just yin and yang. If we want to think of our yin and yang in the, in the universe, they're just the, the two polar forces that must exist in order for the other two. And, um, and so Dianus is, is that, and Diana is the other. And so we often think of Diana as the darkness and as Dianus as the light. Um, and it's very close to that Luciferian gnosis if you've studied the book of Aradia. Um, and a lot of those old school classical occult um, philosophies and things are in there. But uh, one of the, the really cool things about Dianus is that culturally he absorbed a lot of gods and most of those gods were sky gods and um, kind of the great gods. So Zeus is considered to be one of the Dianus. Uh, Janus is one of the Dianus. And so you've got these really epically powerful male archetypes um, that are there. And I, even though my practice is not gender centric, I, we just don't do that. Um, the divine needs no, you know, gender to do its thing. It'll do whatever it wants to do in whatever form it wants to do. Um, we really work with these, with, with the spirits as shapeshifters because they will be who they want to be. You know, sometimes the spirit is a little old man who needs help crossing the road. And sometimes it's a homeless person who is asking for a quarter. And, you know, our mythology all over the world tells us this, that the spirits, you know, they infiltrate our lives, um, through people in need and people who are healing and asking for that. So, the working is actually that it's about, it was about identifying that, that shapeshifter um, that is present in our lives and the way the spirits choose to come through and, and not only test us, but reaffirm our, our faith to them. So it was going to be in three parts. We were going to do um, part of it uh, is Dianus the healer. The other part is uh, Dianus, the kind of the witch King, that, that sorcerial kind of aspect. Um, and then there was, there's another part of him that I'm still going to keep secret because we're not read the description he's in there, but I'm going to keep some of that information 
so that when you do come to the ritual, you you actually do get a little bit of surprise. But uh, so working with these three faces of Dianus as um, these these omnipresent forces that are in our lives, reinforcing our faith um, and whatever that might be, whatever God or divinity you work with. The great thing about working with the divine twins is they all kind of fit into that. And so um, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be very soul healing. It's going to be very um, engaging to the senses. That's going to be another part. Um, and there's, you know, we, we planned on having these altars kind of all throughout the land because that land is so beautiful. Oh, I, I still have dreams about it. Um, so, of course, when, I, when we were invited, heck, yeah, we were going. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so we were going to have these altars kind of put all throughout so people could commune with the spirits and then bring parts of that to the ritual. It's, it's going to be a really beautiful working that um, I think... I think people are going to get a lot out of it. At least I hope they do. It's kind of funny because, I mean, of course, we all wish it happened this year. But it's kind of funny that one of the things that we discussed was the fact that now that, okay, now we have to do what we're going to do this year. Next year, we're like, well, we have another year to plan these amazing altars. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's it's it all works out the way it needs to work out. Absolutely. It does. does. You know, I think that... uh, it really, sometimes it's, I mean, it's obviously really a bummer when you have something planned that gets canceled, but it does it. You're like, Ooh, now I get to even think, spend more time and more energy and think of cooler, more interesting things that I can do. So, well, I'm very excited to experience that next year at Sunfest when I will actually be able to attend finally. So, <laughs> um, I'm gonna monitor, you're going to get like a, a, somewhat a food taster to follow you around for like a month before that. You're not allowed to eat anything that's remotely bad. So no risk of food poisoning at God. all. Worst. I was, I mean, like, it's literally like 12 hours. I mean, six hours before we were supposed to go. I was fine. I was ready. Like I was packing things up. I was really excited to go. And I woke up and it's like all hell had broken loose. And I was just like, I feel like I might actually die. And the thing was, is like, I was pretty sure it was food poisoning, but you never know. And I was like, if this is the stomach flu, the last thing I want to do is give this to everyone at Sunfest. So I'm just going to stay home and, and, and just wish I was dead in bed and, and be sad that I wasn't there. Um, well, we want to make sure that we have time to talk about your new book. I have started digging into it and what I've read so far is amazing. So please tell us a little bit about your book so our listeners can hear about it and then obviously go purchase it immediately. Yes, please go buy my book. Um, it, yes, yeah, so it just came out uh, in February, and the all of the touring was canceled, all of the promos were canceled, um, and it doesn't exist in digital format at the moment. And so be, it, it's a, it is a physical book only at the moment. Um, and the reason for that is because it's a full color photography driven, um, experience. That's what I'm calling. It's not a book. It's an experience. Um, no, it's, uh, so my idea with it was I wanted to create a magical formulary for people that was first of all, inclusive. Um, every book I ever picked up that had a love spell was always written for cis hetero people, which is fine, but not every, first of all, not every cis hetero person has the same issue with love. Second of all, not every cis hetero person would even need the same sort of love stuff. Um, and second of all, there are so many other types of love besides that cis hetero stuff. So, um, you know, one of the things we do a lot in uh, American folk magic, is, you know, we, you get kind of these these really classic formulas 
And then it's, it's very common to substitute, you know, an ingredient here or there to alter the vibration of that working. Um, and so in the book, I go over love magic, healing magic, prosperity magic, divination, and protection. And that, because those are the five types of workings that over all of the years working for different magical stores, um, this, these are the things we get asked the most about um, in various forms. And so you know, when you go to the love chapter, you're getting a, first of all, a visual tour of the spell working. So it isn't just a, you know, you're reading what it's supposed to be and then not getting any sort of visual clue. You know, if you pick up a cookbook these days, you're getting pictures step by step of what that looks like. You're not just being expected to, you know, pop that out. It's the, the days of the joy of cooking are, are kind of over for that. Um, people want a visual experience because you're making something, right? Um, and so witchcraft is like that. And I realized that, um, even though spells and magic don't always translate onto film well, um, there are still moments that I think we can capture to convey the experiences we have as witches. Um, and so I wanted to, to combine spell work and, you know, as much inclusive spell work as I possibly could, um, and new types of spell work as well. So that it wasn't always just kind of the same stuff that you can get anywhere, uh, with, with this visual approach that was photography driven. Um, and you get to see my hand drawn art is like superimposed on all of it. Um, but the idea really was that we could go through and you can give somebody the tools to, a, become more confident with their own spell crafting. Um, you don't always have to read it straight from the book. And in fact, I, I really totally encourage you to just read first and then make whatever you want after, after that. Um, it's up to you. It's your magic, right? Um, so hope, hopefully giving people more confidence when it came to casting their own spells. But also, I, I really thought it was important to be able to show how there really, not only is there not just one way of doing things, but if you understand... I don't want to just call it the basics because I think uh, the comprehension of it is a little bit more than basic. But um, if you understand the way things fit together, magically speaking, and why they fit together that way, then you can do any type of magic for any sort of issue at any point in time. I mean, absolutely. It's just really about building up that, that kind of base knowledge. And so that's what I tried to do. And I wanted it to be a coffee table book. I am in love with uh, coffee table books. And there's this really cute book. If you ever get the chance, it's, it's kind of hard to find these days. So if you're out and about um, and you see a book called Enchanted by Titania, uh, she's, a, she's a UK witch who was really popular in the 90s. Um, and she had this beautiful book come out that had this blue crushed velvet cover. And you open it up and it's a, it's a, it's like a moon magic book and it takes you through the different moons of the year. It's very Celtic. Um, and, uh, and then there are all these beautiful spell workings that go with it. And she hired a photographer to come in and take photos. And I've ha I had this book for years and I never really, I was just, I just thought it was pretty. I like art. I'm an arty guy. So, you know, I, I kept on to it and the magic in it is, uh, it's super cute. I totally love and adore it. Um, but the picture, I didn't realize the picture's didn't actually like match up to the working necessarily. They were just kind of themed. Like she would mention rosemary or something. And then, you know, there'd be a, a rosemary wreath or something a couple pages later, but there really wasn't a, a cohesive uh, kind of story driven with the, with the photography. Um, and I realized that like, if I was going to do any sort of spell book, I wanted it to be as badass, if not more possibly, even though I'm not going to say that, uh, you know, like her book, because her book was amazing and it totally gave me this idea that witchcraft could be artistic and it should be beautiful. Um, and so I mentioned that in the book. And, um, so if you get the, if you get a chance to buy that book, folks go buy that book. It's really, really cool. 
Um, and, uh, and that was really part of the inspiration was that I wanted to do something like Titania had done. I didn't want to copy her, um, but I wanted to do something as cool because I thought she rose the bar in just really neat way. Um, so yeah, so it's this pictorial spellbook formulary that has all kinds of cool alternatives to a lot of traditional spells. Um, and it's, it's really all about putting you in the driver's seat of your spellcrafting. Go get it immediately <laughs> because for someone like me who is, uh, is a very visual person, it's so valuable because I like just, I, I feel like reading things, I don't always intake as much. So having, especially when I'm trying to create something, it's why I like never buy cookbooks that don't have pictures or very rarely. Um, so, you know, I think that it, it, it is incredible to have that so that you can really imagine and it helps inspire you as well. Visual is so inspiring. So I just think it's great and, uh, and everyone should go buy it. Okay. So Devin, we have a, a little thing that we do on this podcast and we call it as below. So above, um, which nine times out of 10, we can't remember the way that we say it. So we have to check. <laughs> I, I was like, okay, I need to pull up our little notes because otherwise I'm going to say it wrong for sure. Again, for the 7,000th time. Um, so it's essentially something that we are wanting to let go of. And then in turn, something that we want to bring in. Would anyone like to start? Got it. <laughs> You always make me go first. Fine. I'll go first. Um, so I want to let go the fear of doing it wrong, whether that is in my writing or whether that is saying something, especially with regards to something going on with the social justice world. I, there's always that sense of, am I saying this wrong? And the chances are that you're going to say things wrong at least part of the time, if not most of the time. And same thing with your writing you're probably not going to do it right the first time and you have to do it anyway. You have to show up anyway. You have to do your work anyway, even if you're afraid you're doing it wrong. So I'm letting go of the fear of doing it wrong. And I want to bring in more optimism. Mm, That's really good. Yeah. So mode it. So mode that. Yeah. I feel like, uh, I also want to let go of fear. I think that, um, and not necessarily in getting it wrong because I always get it right. No, I'm kidding. I <laughs> like in the 90% of the time I get it wrong for sure. Um, but, uh, but for me, you know, in, in this time when there are so, there's so much unknown. Um, and I've, I've probably, this has definitely been one that I've used before, but I feel like it's, I'm feeling especially hard right now, which is that as things start to change and shift, um, you know, I'm someone that really likes stability and pattern and, and, and I, I, I'm a person that has contingency plans for my contingency plans. And this is a time where we can't do that. So that causes a lot of anxiety. And so I am really asking to let go of that fear of what if, ha, what if this happens? And then what if that happens? And what if all these things happen and think, and, and instead of thinking about what's going to happen or not going to happen is to let go of that fear and instead really be in the present because there's so much that we can do in the present and focusing on the what ifs and the, and the how comes and the, Oh my God, this might happen. It, it doesn't serve, serve us. It does, certainly doesn't serve me. Um, and so letting go of that and bringing in just being settled in being in the present. Well, I guess I'll go next. Yeah, go. Um, so I, I, I would say I really want to let go of 
the uh, of disorganization of the comfort I get from being a disorganized person, and I would like to bring in um, more organization. Now, not for the sake of productivity. I realized that I was one of those people who looked at organization as a tool to become more productive, not as a tool to build sanctuary and comfort and routine, uh, especially in a, in a time when the, you know our routines are totally out the window. And I don't know about you, but I've been working at home for three and a half months. And so um, I have, I know I've really let go and be just become comfortable just kind of floating around. And, I, you know, something I always tell my clients is it, we should absolutely always try to go with the flow, but sometimes you have to take a step out and stand on the bank so you can see where the hell the river's taking you because you may just end up going off of a cliff, you know? And um, I think finding space to really, you know, find a center, find a sanctuary. That'd be amazing right now. I love that. So moat that shit. So it actually looks like Kanani is having some internet issues and you know what? Hey, we've all dealt with that right now. So uh, <laughs> I feel like I've dealt with it pretty much every day since this lockdown. Uh, so I can um, guess what she would want. I think she would want to let go of lots of things <laughs> and she would want to bring in uh, money and ice cream. So Devin, thank you so much for coming and joining us today. It's been a real pleasure having you on. Obviously all of the resources for you, uh, your website, the school, the book, all of that will be up on our website. So please everyone go and give Devin all of your money. Um, and, <laughs> and it was like, give him so much money. Um, and, for those of you that follow us, uh, you know, make sure you check out our Etsy shop. Uh, we have some, obviously some good stuff up there. All of our stuff is awesome. So you should go buy some, give us your money also. Um, this month, 10% of our proceeds is going to protect the sacred. Always feel free to reach out to us via the website with any questions and we will see you next week. Kanani used to actually rescue me from those types all the time when we used to go out when we were younger. Like back in the day, we actually used to leave our houses. And because I was always like, I feel bad. And you're like, don't feel bad. They're creepy. And she would like think something is happening. Like, oh no, we have to go because uh, my car needs gas. Let's leave yeah, now. But, but, but you have to say it correctly because I would say it just like that. As I would look at them like just completely dead faced and just be like, oh no, we should go. We have something else to do. Come on, Courtney, follow me. And they'd be like, what? What's happening? What's going on? And you're like, remember and like, the emergency? So and I'm like, we're fine. Let's go. <laughs> you're like, I saved you. You're welcome. I'm like, <laughs> oh my God.